Um, All Saints Day is, so we know All Hallows Eve, spooky, spooky. Um, Yeah, we didn't adopt the pagan dates and stuff. So All Saints Day, it used to be celebrated in the spring. And um, they had this big festival in Rome, and all the pilgrims would go in the springtime to celebrate the festival of all saints and it's and it's really old i mean this is like it's like 500s you know so i mean it's like it's old but it's not like old old it's not pre-constantine old it's not like easter and pentecost and christmas old but it is very very old so all these all the all the pilgrims would go to rome in the springtime i think it was in may or something and the problem with having like your city filled with pilgrims in May is that there's nothing for them to eat. And there were so many people coming, they had to move it to the end of fall so that the harvest had already taken place so that they would have like food for them. So it's not a harvest uh, celebration or festival. It's there because this is when you have enough food around to feed all these people who are coming in from basically the whole entire world. So, and you know, and there's been all sorts of various abuses of it, of course, whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, and Ellie and I were talking about All Souls Day. Um, so the distinction between these things, today's the day about all the actual, like, the people who made it past the goal. And then tomorrow is the day when we want to pray for these people who are still in purgatory. So when you're in purgatory too, it's like, so the elevator only goes one way in purgatory. So it's like not that terrible, but the bad thing about being in purgatory is that you can't actually like pray for yourself or do the good stuff. That's going to like get you up. So everyone else has to do these things for you. So, and that's where the commemoration of the faithful departed originally comes from. If you can get enough people to like kind of remember you in that thing, then, and there's all sorts of like ridiculous indulgences for these people that are, again, I think it's an awesome thing for us to be able to, well, you're supposed to go to the cemetery, right? And there's, I found all, all sorts of goofy stuff. Uh, where you, you can go to the cemetery and pour milk on the graves of your beloved so that they're nourished. Sounds kind of gross to me. Um, and I was thinking about this during church, too, is that... So we don't do, like, Memorial Day in church. Um, but most of the time, the, the secular holidays that come up, we, we actually have things that we've been doing forever that predate the secular holidays. And so you could have people like get grumpy because we don't have some patriotic Memorial Day service, but that's like what this is. And, and seriously, like whatever things people are grumpy about, like we, we have them. And oh, you don't do Thanksgiving. Well, we actually do have Thanksgiving. Well, one, it's <clears throat> it's the center of our life together, the Eucharist, which is actually the Thanksgiving. The the whole entire like uh, that part of the liturgy is called the Great Thanksgiving. 
Mm, so we don't do Thanksgiving. It's like, yeah, we only have like tur- turkeys and cornucopia, but like, okay, uh, it's not really our thing. Uh, but we do have the reading from the um, the the ten lepers and the one thankful one, which is the reading for a day of thanks. Uh, that comes up in the summer sometime, and then the church even has things like Mother's Day already. It's it comes up in in Lent, I believe. Or no, maybe it's the fourth Sunday in Advent. Maybe that's actual Mother's Day, because uh, this is when the Annunciation kind of comes up. But we have all these things, and it's like we don't need to adopt the hallmark liturgical calendar because we've been doing these things forever. So, and I think we do them better than uh, than other people too. Veterans Day. I mean, we even. We've got Veterans Day, too. What is it? Martin's Tog? So, uh, St. Martin's Day. Um, do you believe that... Has that passed yet? November 10th. November 10th? So, so Veterans Day. Um, so, our churchly Veterans Day is St. Martin's Day. So he is the patron saint of soldiers, and we um, we only know about this because our kids school. But like, you know, it's a big deal in Germany, and you go and you celebrate this soldier, and it's a day to give thanks for soldiers, and also to remind soldiers of like, you know, it'd be good for you to be merciful here and there. Oh, sorry, eleventh November. November eleventh. So that's Martin's day. Yeah, and it's Martin Luther's name day. So that's why Martin Luther is named Martin, because he's baptized on St. Martin's Day. So Veterans Day is actually on St. Martin's Day. Really? Because it's November 11th. Yeah. No way. It's Veterans Day. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh. So they're the same day. So they did that on purpose? That's cool. But here's another weird thing. It's the day, sorry, there's only three of them, so it's a day that uh, Martin Tours was buried. He actually died on November 8th. He was buried three days later. Huh. Cool guy, Martin of Tours. Um, fantastic saint. I mean, if you want to pick someone to be, like, devoted to, he's a good one. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther's birthday is the 10th. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what... Well, they just didn't get him baptized on that day. So that you name the kid on the, the, for the day when they're baptized. So did you guys do that? No, I don't think I knew about it yet at the time, though. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you can always hope for a real good one. I've tried many times to get people to use their the saint's name that their children are born or baptized on, and I've never succeeded. 
Because I've never had like a like a great one. My mom's birthday is St. Agnes Day. And that is my daughter's name. So we got close. Um, yeah. Okay, so first communion prior to confirmation. Last time we talked about this, that, uh, well, I, mean, I, I just don't see in the scriptures where there's an age limit to like who receives communion. And it's kind of funny. Um, someone else brought up, they're like, well, I mean, here's the deal. that Jesus, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, did he establish an age to it? No. But it is kind of funny. He did give it to a room of, uh, like, grown men. So we could say that, like, women aren't allowed. And only, like, men who are in their probably early 30s or something like that. But I just don't see that. There's no really like scriptural support for restricting it based on age or who you are. There is, when we look in 1 Corinthians, there is like you do have to have the ability to uh, judge yourself, to discern, right? So we saw that, the age of discernment. So last week we saw... uh, uh, Bugenhagen, when he goes to Denmark to institute, to kind of inaugurate the Reformation there, he says that eight years old is probably about when these things should be happening. And I think that's probably about right. Um, yeah. So, let's see. How exactly where we got here? Maybe we just finished the first page. Well, let's look at uh, page 26 here. I forgot to announce this yesterday, but there is an ordination at Anchors Lutheran Church tomorrow at 3 o'clock of Albino Kong. So, Albino Kong. Sudan. So, he and there used to be a Sudanese congregation here, and then they all left for some reason and went to Anchorage Lutheran Church. I don't know exactly what that is, but they were like, so if you are if you're one of these sleuths on the uh, the Synod website where it shows all our statistics, somewhere around uh, I think 2012, it looks like half our congregation died, but they all. They were Sudanese, and they left to go to this other church. And so one of their people now is being ordained into the office. Hmm. Yeah, and they've also apparently left that church and moved somewhere. So I mean, it's interesting. They're basically lifting this guy up to be the pastor of this Sudanese congregation, but then all the Sudanese people move. And this is what like immigrants tend to do. There was a Hmong congregation out at Chugiak, and then, like, basically one day, they, someone tapped Pastor Baumgartner's shoulder during communion and was like, this is our last Sunday, we're all moving to Georgia. And, you know, it makes sense if I was in a new, if I moved to 
Sudan or something, I would probably congregate with other, like, American English speakers. People do this in... When I was in Paris for Palm Sunday in 2006, 2007, we went to the American Cathedral in Paris because that's where the Americans go to church, you know? But... Yeah, Ellie taught an Ethiopian congregation's children in Greensboro. And then they left there, too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. It's an interesting thing about our country, I guess. But, um, yeah, so, but that's another right that we'll find eventually for ordination. Um, and so it is interesting. I was, at, I was in Fairbanks for the installation of Pastor Carlson there last Sunday night. And a lot of the questions that you ask these guys in your ordination are very similar to the questions that are asked in your baptism. And then when you're preparing for the Lord's Supper. So all, like, they're not different things. We keep kind of asking you the same questions your whole entire life. And then at your funeral, if there is something to celebrate, we celebrate that this faith um, that you've actually carried this faith your whole entire life. So not your, not that you were a member of, you know, the Eastern Star for 78 years, and I don't know. Anyone in the Eastern Star here? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know the secret. Don't tell me. Um, so, yeah. Well, this is how you know, like, the Freemasons are weird, too, because they have... They've got youth organizations. It's like to, to raise up the next generation of Freemasons. It's and their symbols look satanic. I'm like, what don't you understand about this? You have a like pentagram with a sword. I'm just supposed to believe that this is like because guys want to get better and get together and make people better. Something like that. Um, Okay, so, let's see, 26. The pastor addresses the candidates. So we're all standing up here, or wherever, whatever local custom dictates. We should probably do this as late as possible, stand outside in the cold dark. Uh, <laughs> uh, you are about to be admitted to the Lord's table. So there's a whole series of sermons, lectures uh, from St. Cyril of Jerusalem that they're basically like, it's amazing the catechetical um, mystagogical catechetical sermons of uh, St. Cyril of Jerusalem they're basically all like this, it's interesting you are about to be admitted to the Lord's Supper you have just been admitted to the Lord's Supper you are about to be baptized you have been baptized, here's what happened to you So it's cool. Um, Holy Scripture describes the life of the church and every baptized Christian with these words. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That is the church's mission statement. Like, we never have to make another one ever again. That's it. Isn't that nice? Thank you so much. Um, There's... Someone just published a new uh, uh, proposal for how to reform the Missouri Synod, and it's all like it's all good ideas and everything. And just just put that in there, like, and 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay. So that's what the church does. That is, that's it. If you're doing things that don't look like that, it's probably not, like, the church thing, you know? And sometimes that's fine. Like, you can have whatever clubs you want to have at church, but, like, that's really it. It's the scriptures, the prayers... So, and we see there in, in Acts 2.42, when it says the prayers, so he uses a definite article there. So what we're thinking is that this does actually have, like, it doesn't say they devoted themselves to prayer. The prayers. Like, there is already a set pattern, a liturgy of prayers that they're using. Uh, it's great. Um, you are invited by our Lord to come regularly to hear his word and receive his sacrament. Who's doing the, the inviting? Isn't it great? It's not saying like, you've met all our criteria at this congregation and signed the whatever stuff and you've been given the binder. It's like, oh, you've been invited by our Lord. Well, that's how the Lord invites people. Through teaching. Okay. Um, through yeah, that the Lord invites people through other people. So uh, you will continue to be instructed and nurtured in the Christian faith and life. Um, and what, when does that end? Or when is that done? Yeah, so it's never done. It's only done when you die. And then you'll find out more things in a different way. Um, yeah. Oh, I was think when we were talking about confirmation last week, there was, uh, there was other confirmation stuff wasn't there recently. So we were talking about like confirmation um, oh of animals. Apparently like animals have confirmation. Yeah, so when you like take your dog to the dog show and they make sure it has the right colors and teeth and whatever. That's called confirmation? Did you know that? So, um, also we talked about confirmation uh, emails. So, when you book a flight and they send you a confirmation, or when you buy a book on Amazon, they send you a confirmation notice and say, it'll be there in nine weeks, or whatever it is here. And then, um, there was also a confirmation. So, yeah, confirmation hearings. The judge, Barrett, was confirmed. I mean, that's that's yet another thing, you know. So she got picked to be this. She was chosen. She was chosen, and then uh, she's confirmed. It's um, so it is language that we use in the rest of our lives, and that people understand this. Um, I mean, and it's almost like kids are supposed to get like grilled, you know, before confirmation, before they're allowed to be confirmed and and um yeah maybe we should treat it more like a supreme court judge or something too you know it is a life appointment so anyone in the congregation can ask you a question yes so yeah our friend pastor thompson that was that was they always had in their church in um in missouri where we were their kids did get the like the lineup and have to sit in front of the congregation. I think they did it on like a Saturday night or something, or maybe they did it during like Bible study hour. And you could ask the kids any question, 
whatever. But the the only stipulation was that you had to be able to answer the question as well. I think that's great. You know, that's and people should rejoice in seeing kids actually be able to confess the faith when asked. Um, it's a wonderful thing. And you're like, oh wow, it actually worked. So yeah, it never stops. So you are invited to confess your sins and receive the comfort of holy absolution. All this will help you live as a child of God. You have been made through holy baptism. Isn't that great? That's like, what more do you need? That's that's the picture of the Christian life. Um, Lord's Supper, holy absolution, holy baptism, uh, the word of God, and that that's that's all it is. It's it is so not complicated. I, I don't know why we have to like why do we have to complicate these things? It's so strange. It's, it's almost like if the faith isn't difficult, we we don't really believe it or something. It has to seem hard or else it's not real. Oh, yeah. Well, what about? People who love Jesus, yeah, even. Love Jesus. They're like, well, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets so complicated. And they're like, well, it's not my thing. Like, I didn't make it up. Jesus did. Um, so. It is old. Um, the um, I believe it's the Enlightenment. If you want, if you don't like something, you can blame anything on the Enlightenment. <laughs> so. That it's basically our version of that. Um, so, yeah, and I, I'd have to do more research into this. Um, confirmation was a thing during the Reformation, but it was not linked to the initial reception of the Lord's Supper. So what we saw from Luther last week and from Brugenhagen is that they're, they're like kids who, yeah, again, eight is like the age they're looking for. So... Um, yeah, it's it's wild though the development of it. Other people have put a whole lot more work into it than I have, like trying to figure this out. And I have read like a small portion of what they've read. Um, Mark Serberg is this like pa- he's a pastor in um, Illinois, and he has like written hundreds of pages on this and gone into way more depth than anyone needs to really but to the point where like you can't even really like just quite tell exactly what it is but you know that like 
it's it's not great our history with linking confirmation with with this. I mean, it's basically like coming from this, um, yeah, the Enlightenment and this like age of reason and this belief in like the kind of the humans have to like do the things in order to make them happen, um, master of your own destiny sort of thing. But it's, I mean, it's. Yeah, you just don't see that. And so the question is, like, is the body and blood of Jesus actually here doing real things? And, uh, well, everything we do points to yes. Uh, so. so sorry. I'm sorry that I'm going over something that we've already talked about. It's okay. She's missed it, too. It doesn't really. So we teach them in confirmation to memorize the small catechism theoretically. Yeah. And then so we teach them to say, I cannot by my own reason. Yes. And then we expect them to reason it out. Yes. And they have to try really, really hard, too. Right. And like, some of them won't be able to do it either. It was kind of crazy. We set these like impossible bars. Uh, and like I want kids to memorize that stuff I don't think it should be a a, a barrier to receiving the Lord's Supper well, that's crazy am I wrong? well I think they lower the bar when communion is to be given only after success, successfully completing confirmation they lower the bar Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's like that time you need to go from pages whatever, thirteen, fifteen, and then and then you're confirmed and then you have to you have to the bar has to be low enough. That all the kids can like yeah, there's not any get past it in a prescribed amount of time. Right. I think mean, you know, and again if I was at like some gigantic church with forty eight confirmands, maybe you would like have to do that. Because you don't know what each, any of these kids believe, but like here, I'm like, I pretty much know what all all the kids in our church like where they're at. Because uh, there's not like, yeah, my I got confirmed with 45 other kids. I don't, I don't really know how they would have known what we all knew, except for, I think we even had a Scantron test at the end, you know. It's been too long since I've had a good old Scantron. But he who lives by the Scantron will die by the Scantron. So, with the catechism, so my mother created the catechism for families to be taught from birth. Like, when did it become like a confirmation only thing where people never even see the catechism? I know. Yeah, that's the question. It all goes together. Yeah. Yeah. Which started from, you know, the noble thing of teaching orphans around mm. the turn of the century, around 1900, I believe. And that developed into the Sunday school that we have today. 
Well, Sunday school as we know it was originally a Methodist pietist creation. It's one of those things that we're like, ah, well, what's wrong with Sunday school? Just like getting kids together, like singing a couple songs about Jesus and then like, talking about a Bible story, doing a craft. I don't see anything like harmful with that. But it, it didn't come from us, though. We've always been more like about like the objective. We are slapping you across the face with the gospel. And that's how that works. Um, but so you know the the Christian flag, the the white one with the like blue Canton. That's the um, that's actually the Methodist Sunday School flag that was used at a Sunday School convention in Coney Island, New York, in like nineteen. Yeah, it's somewhere around the beginning of the twentieth century. But if we're gonna put an American flag in there to make sure, show that we're not Nazi loving Germans, yeah, I actually think the shows Jesus too. I like the Christian flag. The Christian flag. I think it's cool. Um, I like flags. I think they're cool anyways. But um, I think it's cool. It's like, I don't understand how it's not getting dirty all the time. But I might have used different colors. But I think it's a well-designed flag. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we're almost done. So in testimony of this faith and confession, so testimony, remember, the word for testimony, the martyria, the, the martyrs. So we're actually enrolling these children along with the martyrs. They're, they're getting their palm branches now. Um, so we saw that in Revelation again today too, right? They're all wearing white robes. No, they the palm branches because the palm branches are what you get for the victory. So we're already giving them this. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit? The creed, yes, I believe. Uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ, true God and true man, is your Lord? Yes, I believe. Uh, are you... Uh, yeah, the two natures of Christ. We even asked them about that. That's kind of cool. Um, Do you believe that you are a sinner? So there's the like discernment part of this thing, right? Yes, I believe. Um, so by the way, President Trump would not do well on this. Like, <laughs> do you believe you're a sinner? Well, I don't think I've ever sinned. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and shed his blood for you on the cross for the forgiveness of all your sins? Do you believe that in the Lord's Supper he gives you his true body and blood for the forgiveness of all your sins and to strengthen your faith in him and your love toward others? So in the, um, we do actually have an objective form of questioning for kids or anyone really before coming to the Lord's Supper. And, uh, there's a question about this, like, what is that? And um, remember, like, I think the two big questions for people coming to the Lord's Supper is, what is it and why do you want it? So, if it's a cracker that I want to eat to make Grandma happy because I'm here for Christmas, well, this is not for you yet, you know, let's work on it. But um, there's actually a question in the standard questioning, it's like, does this uh, just represent Jesus' body and blood, or is this actually Jesus' body and blood? You know, 
Like, we don't want to be waffling on that. This is serious stuff, and it is Jesus' body and blood, and so it does matter. So we do want to be careful with this, you know. It just, at some point it becomes irresponsible to keep children away who should be here at the Lord's Supper. Who can answer all these questions, you know? Do you intend to continue to hear and receive the instruction of your Lord, confess your sins, and receive the Lord's Supper faithfully throughout your life? I therefore invite you to the Lord's Supper to receive Christ's precious body and blood for the forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So remember one of the titles, or yeah, one of the descriptions that the Bible has for pastors is the steward of the mysteries. And it's like, that's what it looks like right there. You're like, oh, well, I'm the steward of these mysteries in this particular place. I am inviting you to come in here because, you know. Um, stewardship is like, well, you can do anything in the name of, of good stewardship, right? Well, we have to um, cut the pastor's pay back to a quarter time and uh, force them out of the parsonage and... That, these things aren't happening, but you can do all that in the name of good stewardship, right? You know, well, good stewardship means we um, don't replace the light bulbs and uh, don't turn the heat on. You know, so you can do anything in the name of good stewardship, but I don't think good stewardship is actually stingy or wasteful, right? It's finding somewhere in the middle, and that's that's what we want to do with the Lord's Supper. So you don't want it so that no one can ever come. And that's the reputation that we have in the Missouri Synod. But, I mean, not as bad as, like, the wells, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not this scary thing where you, no one's allowed to come ever. But it's also not something where we're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, just good for everyone. You're Buddhist, I don't care. It's good, you know. It's So it's... Somewhere in the middle, and that's like, you know, well, that's why you have a pastor. That's why you don't just have like some robot, right? Here, here, here. So, yes. huh? Yes. Yet? Would it be a good stewardship to have a robot pastor? Would it be a good stewardship? Maybe they just have to be your dumb friend. I mean, yeah. Have to pay. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Robo Pastor 9000. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. All these, like, you know, all these jobs that are, like, getting replaced by robots and everything. And, uh, I read some article a couple, a couple years ago saying, like, lawyers and pastors are no longer going to be needed because it all just, like, you can do it with robots. And I don't think so. Huh? Oh, yes, virtual communion. Yeah. It, it's it's not good because you are human beings with real bodies. And you need other human beings with real bodies. And you need a Lord who has a real body, who is a human being. So if you're interested in your human being body ever actually being redeemed and raised from the dead, so which is the goal. Uh, yeah, so. Everyone on board? 
Everyone's on board. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> um, any objections? Well, what do you do then with this thing, this, with the Theoretically, if like some kids came and then like received this and then never came back, yeah. Well, you have to call them on it, right? So, have you done this very much? The the people? Uh, I've done a couple times. Yeah. So. What well, and I do like that that they're. Yeah, this thing that the congregation is actually asked. Oh, we might as well, huh? Parents, sponsors, and members of the congregation, the whole church shares with you the responsibility and concern for the ongoing instruction and spiritual care of these young people. I now ask you, will you intercede for them in prayer? And as much as you are able, give them your counsel and aid, that in communion with the church, they may grow up to lead a godly life to the praise and honor of Jesus Christ. Then answer we will with the help of God. And then everyone says, yeah, we want that too. And so remember, we do this in your baptism as well, right? Like there's a thing in the baptismal liturgy when it's like, hey, um, this is going to be hard. Uh, you guys up for the challenge? And if you're not, you shouldn't be here, right? It's, Yeah, you're not an anonymous person, especially in a church like this, right? You can't just sneak out. And... So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Ideally, what happens is like the the parents keep bringing the child to church every week, and then they like grow up to lead a godly life in the fear of the Lord and receive the Lord's Supper, and then get married to another God fearing man and or woman, and like have kids and. And it just keeps going. But when it doesn't, then you're like, oh, what do we do now? So, yeah, it's tough. But this shouldn't scare us off from it, should it? That some people abuse it? Yeah. Some people. Um Yeah. Suddenly, immediately. Yeah. And confirmation. Yeah. So, and it that is like there's this like great conflict between like pastor and people, but like we're actually like working together in this and. Um, and we even say that so pray for them at least you know remember uh, a couple years ago Dr. Gibbs was talking about the prayers at his church and like some young person was like I'm tired of praying for all these sick people can we pray for all the people that have like 
left our church and wandered and we don't know where they are. So they started praying for them all by name. When do we get, when are we allowed to stop worrying about hurting people's feelings? I know. Uh, they'll leave. Yeah. <laughs> then they'll leave for real. Yeah. It's, I mean, there are some things worth having your feelings hurt over, too, aren't there? Right. Uh, no, you can't divorce your wife. No, you can't leave our church. Sorry. That's not what you signed up for. So... Yeah. Well, that's what, like, one of the challenges of this stupid time is that, like, I don't know where everyone is. I'm like, what? Where did everyone go? I don't know. I don't know if they're watching things or are people happy with just, like, watching on the internet or did they die of COVID six months ago? Just, I don't know. It's really difficult. So, can't do it on my own. Yes, each elder has a roster of about 20 families that they're theoretically responsible for. I mean, the problem is that, like, a lot of these families have not been here in decades, but yet they're still on the rolls, and, you know, what do we do? It's a... Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well. Huh? I've never had anybody say that. I don't like the pastor. I'm on the back and he's gone. Yeah, just wait him out. I don't like the organist. She plays in the back, slow, loud, sorry. Yep. While the people in my last congregation, not not many, but there were people I knew they didn't like me, but they were like, I'm not going anywhere. He'll leave before I do. And, and it came true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's cool. I think there's something okay about that, though, being like, ah, eh, I don't like him, but I've been here for 90 years. It's like, oh. 
And they say, I'm just going to wait it out. We won't be here that long, and this is my church. And so. Yeah, they don't even get to pick their pastors. Yeah. The problem with us is that you think you get to pick a pastor, but you have no idea what kind of maniac you have called to be your pastor. Like, they look good on paper. Sometimes. I mean, so you call a pastor who you think is going to be this awesome dude and he burns out within two months. Or you call some guy who, like, bottom of the barrel, the only guy who takes the call and he turns out to be great, you know? Was it called like detente or something? <laughs> yeah. Well. Um. Yeah, we'll finish this next week. Maybe I'll uh, try and. Look up those questions that you asked. Can you remind me to look up the like history questions of when this stuff, and I can find real answers for you rather than making mostly educated guesses. Okay. That's how it's gonna be, huh? All right. Well, uh, let's close. Lord, we give thanks for all the uh, children that you have blessed us with and pray that we would be faithful in in their instruction and bringing them up um, to love you and to um, lead a life that is lived in in fear of you and lived uh, especially towards and from this Holy Eucharist that you give to us. We pray this um, and also for all those who we don't know where they are and uh, that they would... uh, come back, uh, that they would know that uh, we love them and that you love them, Um, yeah, for whatever reason, um, continue to bless them and give them peace, um, as well as us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.